recursive community here from Sofia. Let me introduce you our next guest. He is a business development professional who got fascinated by the world of crypto and fintech. Jordan Stoev is the head of crypto and trading, Skrill and Nutella at Paysafe Group, which is one of the biggest IT employers in Bulgaria. In the last five years, he gained extensive experience in investing, valuations, analysis, advisory and solutioning in crypto and fintech. With a background in business analysis and finance, Jordan is constantly trying to improve, learn and grow. Jordan, welcome to the Recursive Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. I would like to start maybe in a more philosophical way our conversation today. And I was wondering, what were the values that uh, you were raised with that helped you in your professional journey later on? So I was I was born in Sofia. I was born and raised here. Um, my parents were, you know, very hardworking people. Um, they weren't rich, but they, you know, did their best to kind of give us a decent start. I have a brother as well. Um, and I think I was brought in values of humbleness, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being fair, being open. Uh, integrity is also very important to me as, as a sort of as a person even. Um, not even from a professional perspective only, right? As, as mm-hmm. a person, I think that that has really, really helped me grow and, and just get, you know, the respect of, of the people that I work with and, and my team, so. Mm. Um, what kind of school did you finish? I I was in the first English language school here in Sofia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that was my high school. Which and is before one of the that, best schools in, in the country, right? It is, yeah, it is. And I guess it created also this basis for your journey then to the U.S. You actually graduated in, in the States. What did you learn from your journey? The main thing is, you know, to be open-minded, to see, see a different world. You know, when, when I was 18, by, when, I, when I went there, it was a completely different world. So it opened my eyes to a lot of things. A lot of things were possible. Um, and it's just a very, very sort of... It was a lot of studying as well, you know, um, in terms of actual subjects, but I think that the most valuable thing was just to, to see the world and to see the, that everything is possible. And the U.S. is really eye-opening in terms of that. You mm. know, so to widen your perspective. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Why did you decide to come back? What year was that, actually, when you, when you came back? So th- that was, I think, 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so... Mm. 10 years ago, almost. 10 years ago. A long time. Um, but uh, I just enjoyed, you know, life and in, in Europe better. Um, mm-hmm. It was really personal reasons, mostly. Um, I just wanted to come back. I, I was still young, you know, 22, and I came back. And I, and I saw opportunity here as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Bulgaria was sort of moving ahead as a country. You know, we were sort of, you know, part of the European Union now, so there's mm-hmm. plenty of opportunity here as well. So that's why I decided to come back. So you're one of those optimistic returnees, as we call them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I were pessimistic, I wouldn't return. So I, I think this yeah. is, you know, the key yeah. <laughs> um, element in, in decisions like this. Uh, I remember uh, I had a, a similar adventure. I finished school. I decided I'm going to study abroad. I, back then, I didn't even think that I'm going to come back. And... At some point, this optimism kind of, you know, uh, win me over. And I decided that uh, there is so much you can do in Bulgaria. There are so many niches where I can be of, um, I can 
have my contribution and have impact. So that is what actually kind of, you know, fascinated me. When there are a lot of problems, there are also a lot of market niches. <laughs> yeah. How did you make the switch from business analysis to crypto and, and trading? So, you know, I, I graduated in finance, so I've always had, you know, the finance world and economics have always been very fascinating to me, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I started working at banks initially. Uh, that was my career path. Uh, business analysis still at banks, right? So I had to understand the financial sort of world. And, you know, crypto is, is, is very connected to that. And um, I'm also very interested in tech in general, right? Mm. So I was very interested in computers as a kid. Uh, and I'm, my, actually, my crypto journey started way back in 2011 or 12 when, when I wow. came back. And it was, you know, I, I tried to mine Bitcoin on my personal computer at home, wow. uh, which was a complete failure because obviously I didn't know how to do it. So and I didn't know you had to participate in pools to be able to mine anything. You couldn't mine by yourself and the computer was not powerful enough and so on and so forth. So I just disregarded it, you know, I just dropped it at the time. But it was very interesting from a tech perspective, right? I didn't understand the economics impact and the finance impact at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, then in 2016, um, uh, you know, we decided, so Ethereum was, was launched in 2015. Uh, and in 2016, we, find out, we found out about it. We, we, again, approached it with my friends from a technical perspective. We, we invested in some mining hardware, started mining it. And, but this time we were very successful, right? And uh, that's how we sort of went down the rabbit hole, started understanding what it actually is, uh, the economic impact, what, what it can create, what it can be. Uh, and there was no turning back. I mean, it was, it was just fascinating. And then um, I've been in the space for like almost five years now, pretty much full time. So. <clears throat> The impact of uh, blockchain, especially in the early days, uh, has been seen as very inspirational for all those who are kind of, you know, against established practices in, in finance. For you as a finance person, I guess this must have been like super exciting. What exactly. was your big hope? Maybe it, it transformed over time and it changed over time. But what was your big hope that crypto will change or make better? So... Crypto can be many things. Um, it's not just speculation. It's not just investing even. Um, mm -hmm. But initially it started as that. So it, it, so Bitcoin, when it was created, the idea was that there, there was no counterparty risk with it, right? So it's a fully decentralized protocol where the, you don't need to trust anyone to be able to transact and to be able to, to have Bitcoin. Uh, while in the financial system, and, you know, Bitcoin was, was created as a sort of as a response to the 2008 financial crisis, mm -hmm. um, the, the traditional financial system is very complex. Uh, it's very, it's not transparent. And there's always tons of counterparty risk. You don't even know as, as a customer, for example, of a bank, you don't even know who sits against you. Like what, what are your risks that you're taking for having your money at the bank, right? Because the bank lends them out to to retail customers. They lend out mm -hmm. to, to hedge funds. They lend out, I mean, the central bank banks in itself um, they are also a risk vector, right? And they can, you know, manipulate the currency. They can create more currency. They can bail out banks. It, it's a very complex system with a lot of risks. And Bitcoin does away with, with almost all of that, right? Bitcoin is a very simple system. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's just one asset on a blockchain, right? 
it's it's secured by the the most basically the most secure network in the world uh it's it cannot be hacked um and it's it's very simple it's transparent you can see uh the supply of bitcoin you can see who has it mm-hmm. uh you you can see you can trace you know each bitcoin from the from the moment it was created and mined to to the next to, to this very day it's very transparent it's provably scarce which is also you know something something just very very interesting from a digital perspective right to have something that is unique and scarce digitally not mm-hmm. not physically right and it's just a sort of a new financial system a new more fair more open financial system this this was the big hope at the time and i think to an extent it has managed to to deliver to that oh okay do you see it today as an addition to the system that we have or do you see that it actually has the potential to exchange So, so, so Bitcoin is fairly uh, limited in its abilities. Uh, it, it's very good at some things, but very bad for other things. For example, Bitcoin for payments is not—it's not a very good payment method. It's—it's—it's it's, it's slow. It's—it's it's fairly expensive. Um, it, but it is very good as a store of value, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is very good as a store of value because there's no counterparty risk. When when you hold Bitcoin, the risk is very limited, right? I mean, price goes up and down. But the asset stays the same. The network stays the same. Um, for example, there's there's other better methods for payments in crypto, right? There's stable coins. There's there's mm-hmm. more scalable blockchains that that can address the payment sort of pain points much better than Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Bitcoin is an addition. Uh, it cannot replace the payment networks that we have today, like uh, you know the digital wallets, the cards that we use every day. They're very good. They're very efficient. And they're very cheap for us as customers. Uh, for to pay with your credit card, essentially at a store, it's free, right? So mm-hmm. and it's instant. So wh- why change that, right? But what Bitcoin does very well, though, is if you want to to preserve your your purchasing power, if you want the store of value, if you want pristine collateral, which is very important in the financial world to to mm-hmm. have pristine collateral, right? And in, in today's financial world, the pristine collateral is usually you know U.S. Treasury bonds or uh european central bank bonds or you know germany bonds bonds uh mm-hmm. but they are again a lot of counterparty risk right you you just depend on the country that you hold your the the, the investments in right well bitcoin is is completely different to that so it's very good as a pristine collateral store of value but there's other blockchains to address the the other pain points okay actually i've never seen it in 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 this way Lately, we speak also a lot about Web3, mm-hmm. and I think it's becoming more and more this vague term. Um, can you actually explain that to me, like in simple words? Like, what is it with all this Web3 and, you know, crypto projects that uh, we're now seeing transforming the way that we even build businesses and fund businesses and um, engage with uh, with uh, with people, with communities uh Yeah, so, so so Web three is um, it's an idea, right? I wouldn't say that it's materialized yet. It's, it's just an idea. It's it's an idea that you you move away from the control of the big tech corporations, which mm-hmm. are the Googles, the Amazons of the world, the Facebooks, which, to be fair, have done very positive things uh, as well. They're not just bad companies that do bad stuff. Uh, you know, sometimes some people hate them, but. 
but they do connect us as in a whole different way, right? As, as you know, technology allows them to. Um, but Web3 is what, you know, is we define as the ownership economy. So essentially you own your own data. You are part of the, of the protocol and, and the actual tech that you use. So, so in crypto, when you're a user of a blockchain or a user of a protocol, you are an owner of the protocol as well. So mm-hmm. while with Google and Facebook, you're just the user and essentially these companies, you know, monetize your data. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how they make money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, while, while Web3, the idea and the ethos of Web3, it's, it's open, it's permissionless, it's fully transparent, and the users can actually participate even financially and economically in this stuff and the data they produce. And, you know, the, the, for example, you can have, if you have a decentralized Web3 social network, right, every user would be, the more he contributes to the network, the more you get rewarded and the more the network will grow. And as the network grows, then network effects come in and kick in. And then the, the entire sort of pie grows and we can be, we can participate in that, the growth of the pie. Mm-hmm. We're not just, you know, users of a centralized entity that monetizes our data. So mm-hmm. that's the idea of Web3. Um, but it's still just, I'd say, just an idea. There's a lot of projects doing different things in that direction. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult nut to crack, to be honest. I mean, there's so many projects just trying to do stuff. But they're, in the end, they, they create more, more friction for the users than, than value to them. So it's, I wouldn't say it, it's been successful, but there's a lot of experimentation going on. Definitely. The world has exploded. The world you know, of crypto projects has exploded. I'm not even... I think many of us are not even capable of understanding what these projects are all about. <laughs> yes, yes. And we have this, you know, saying it in crypto, like if, if you have to question whether something needs a blockchain, it doesn't. So that's, uh, you know, people try to stick things that are not suitable for blockchains on blockchains because it's trendy and because they can raise more money that way. That would have been my next question. Uh Somehow, because blockchain has become this buzzword and now more and more also investors and and VC funds are getting the taste of investing in such projects. But sometimes I'm actually totally flabbergasted by the the valuations that um, crypto or blockchain uh, startups are getting just because they have this, this buzzword. Where do you see this evolving so it's it's in cycles usually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so because of crypto's nature, which is you know, crypto is is sort of driven by network effects, right? So mm-hmm. when you have more people joining the network, the value of the network starts growing exponentially, mm-hmm. right? And prices as well reflect that. Mm-hmm. So you have these boom and bust cycles that you know last a couple of years. And during those boom cycles, you know, people just flock in, uh, VC funds start investing and they just start throwing money at the space uh, just for profit, right? For, for a quick buck. But sometimes, you know, when, when the sort of the bubble bursts, which inev- inevitably happens, and it's the normal cycle of crypto, there's booms and busts. Um, it, 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 it's just cyclical. 
there's a lot of investment for like two years and then the next two years there will be very few um, uh, new projects very few VCs will enter the space and valuations will come down significantly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I think we're again in a cycle in that part of the cycle where valuations will come down very significantly in the, in the next couple of months and potentially years until the next you know cycle the next growth cycle of these networks and the next applications that come on top of them mm -hmm. will be will be developed you mentioned network effects and um, we know that um, you know building systems that can leverage this ne network effects has been super challenging actually it's very few companies who may be successfully managed to hack it mm -hmm. I wonder here you know being part of a of a company that uh, is building a payment system, where do you see also the, the place of, of PaySafe when it comes to making use of or um, connecting the, the, the different dots in, in the network effects? So we are, so we, we're still, you know, first and foremost, we're a payments company, right? Mm. Uh, we specialize in high-risk verticals like crypto, and we're very good at, you know, we specialize in compliance, I'd, I'd like to say, because we're very good at that, managing risk. Okay. Um, so what we're trying to do is just bridge the gap between crypto and, and the, the normal fiat world, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to connect, you know, banking, you know, the, the regular financial services that we have with the crypto world and the, the crypto services that also, you know, our customers can benefit from. We're working very hard in that direction as well because... There's, you know, there's a whole new financial system that's being built on crypto rails. And a lot of our customers uh, and a lot of people would like to participate in that. But it's very difficult, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you hear these things, you know, DeFi and these terms, they don't mean much to, to, to a person who's not in crypto, right? They don't understand how it works. So we're working to sort of bridge the gap between the regular world, what normal people have, what normal people use, and bring some of the benefits of the crypto financial services uh, that are available out there. So we're not, you know, trying to create network effects per se for, you know, for ourselves as a company, but we're trying to sort of bridge the gap between the huge network effects that crypto creates and the, the normal world that mm -hmm. we, you know, transact in every day. Mm -hmm. I understand. <clears throat> Where do you see the opportunities for the innovation and crypto going, especially in, I would like to focus it a bit more on Europe and maybe even if you can share a bit more about the local communities. Somehow these communities, they tend to stay underground. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but we step by step realize that we have a lot of talent and a lot of people who have been playing around with, with blockchain who are also interested in crypto so where do you see this potential going from in our region? So crypto is very global, very region agnostic, right? So, the, I mean, in crypto, there's, like you said, a lot of people that are anonymous in the space, mm -hmm. right? And have huge followings. Like, for example, in the crypto space, there's very successful people that have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter that tweet great content and no one knows who they are, where they are mm -hmm. and what they do in their regular lives, right? But they're very big in crypto. And crypto allows that, right? You don't have to share your identity. You can just participate in the network, right? Uh, and if you bring value to the network, the community appreciates it. Uh, so there's a lot of people in Bulgaria that, that are interested in crypto, some of them anonymous, again, not very widely known. 
Um, I also myself, I don't do a lot of, you know, these sorts of uh, uh, interviews, but uh, there's a lot of talent. I can tell you a lot of interest and that we have uh, companies that are actually very well known in the crypto space that are based in Bulgaria and that are, you know, essentially on the on the world stage as, as big crypto companies that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. So uh, we as a company as well, we 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 invest in the space a lot. Okay. Uh, we are, you know, one of the I think the biggest employees, actually IT employees in Bulgaria. And um, so there's a lot of talent that we have and mm-hmm. there's a lot of talent that we're looking to to get on board with us as well. So mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity. And, and the fact that you can participate, you know, in, in Bulgaria, we're seen, we're in Eastern Europe, right? So we're not, we're not in the UK, we're not in Germany, we're not in the US. But we can participate on fair grounds with everybody else because crypto enables that, right? Mm-hmm, it's a mm-hmm. truly global system. It doesn't uh, matter where you are based, what you've done, what you know, what you know. It's if you bring value to the network, you can join it. It's free. It's open. It's permissionless, uh, and you can build stuff on it and participate. You kind of, um, you know, build this image of the crypto world being very meritocratic, uh, fair, um, where, you know, status doesn't really play a role as long as you're contributing in a meaningful way. At the same time, we know that um, the crypto world is also prone to fraud and, um, you know, practices which are not very (laughs) meritocratic, Let's, let's put it like this. You mentioned that PaySafe is uh, pretty much focused on providing um, compliance, and uh, you know, how did, how did you say that? Um, so we we like to see compliance as our competitive strength, Com- right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and we are able to serve markets that our companies are not able to because they don't have the compliance expertise and processes and risks and experience that we have. Mm-hmm. So we can manage, you know, for example, supporting payments for crypto exchanges in a risk manageable way that other companies just cannot. Mm-hmm. Because there's, like you said, the, it's a free market. There's a lot of risk. Um, and if you don't have proper controls, you can get into, into trouble. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what we do very well. At can PaySafe. you give some examples of uh, the troubles that uh, PaySafe helps prevent for, for its customers? Yeah, in terms of like merchants, let's mm-hmm. say, um, and merchants, we have thousands of merchants. One of our biggest sort of projects that we're well known for in the space is our partnership with Binance. Like we, Binance is the biggest crypto exchange in the world. Yes. We, what we do for them is, for example, we, we support their entire payment rails in Europe because we're a fully licensed provider, uh, e-money licensed in the UK, in Ireland as well. In the US even, we're a reg- regulated company there. Uh, we're a public company and we, we can enable, crypto exchanges cannot get the licenses that we have because they don't have the risk controls that we have. Mm-hmm. So we ve- have very strong, you know, know your customer processes. We have very strong uh, monitoring tools that, that we can essentially track if illicit funds were, you know, AML, fraud, terrorist financing, we have a tremendous expertise in those areas and we can manage those funds properly mm-hmm. without you know, making the regulators comfortable 
that these payments are going and coming from, from legitimate sources and going to legitimate sources as well. And to what extent is that actually even possible in the world of cryptocurrencies and the flows that we have been observing? I think one of the biggest you know, fears that we had lately after the war has started that crypto will become a way to finance war, to finance, you know, sides of um, of this war that we don't want to get funded. And it's going to be a work uh, around the restrictions that uh, have been put on, on, on Russia. I don't want to get into the war topic, but is it actually really possible to um, manage such risks in the crypto world? It actually is. And so crypto is not very good for for criminal purposes. Uh, people, you know, don't seem to, to grasp that very well because they don't have experience in the space. Uh, crypto is transparent. Like, it's very easy, very easy to trace. Um, so you can trace every, you know, for example, every Bitcoin, where it came from, where it went to, and the entire history of the funds, right? Uh, so it's very difficult to circumvent sanctions this way mm-hmm. because you can essentially... On, on a couple of steps, because you, you're trying to obfuscate where the funds are coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And on every step, you take additional sort of risk when moving these funds, moving them between exchanges. You have to, because you cannot finance war with essentially Bitcoin. You need to turn it into money at some point, right? And this is usually the point where, um, to, to fiat currency, I mean. And this is usually the point where uh, you have to kind of essentially provide some sort of source of income you have to um and if it's when you're trying to circumvent sanctions it's usually huge amounts of money right you cannot and and the crypto market cannot support that sort of liquidity without causing huge amounts of sort of traces on the network you know Mm -hmm. when you're moving like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of bitcoin it's very visible on the network Mm -hmm. and there's companies that specialize in investigating these funds, right? Mm-hmm. So where they came from, uh, the wallets that, that have interacted with those, what's their risk score, what's their history. And, you know, you don't know in crypto, you don't know the exact identity of the person that owns the wallet, but you know their entire history mm-hmm. and you know all their transactions. You know their their counterparties as well. What have they done before? Have they, you know, transferred money from exchanges? Have they interacted with other wallets that are sort of sanctioned or risky or dark web related or so on? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's just very transparent. It's very traceable. It's not very good for crime. And there's companies that specialize in doing exactly that. We, we have a partnership with such a company. We use their services. They're called blockchain forensics companies. Okay. Um, and they're very good at what they do. Um, they have risk models that are just... Very, very impressive. Unlike, you know, for example, with cash, cash is still the best way to, to circumvent any sanctions. Right? <laughs> Let's so, not give yeah. tips to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... But I, I guess, yeah, because it's not traceable. Yeah. yeah, in the end, you don't know where it's coming from. So... Would you say the traceability on crypto is easier than in the established financial system with, uh, how do you call it, like e-money? I'm, I'm not even sure how we call it now today. So, I'd say so. I mean, it's... 
within money, like in Europe, mm. obviously it's all very regulated. And if money is moving within Europe, they're very easy to trace. Like you know, you know the, the correspondent banks. Mm. There's all sort of regulation around it. But when you go cross border, when when you go to like transferring money from like you know, Asia to Europe. I'd say that it's probably in the end it could be much much easier to trace, you know, crypto funds and rails uh, as opposed to where the actual money is coming from, for example, in Asia, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you know the bank that it's coming from, but you don't know the the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. You don't know where it initially originated from. While with crypto, you know the entire history, mm-hmm. uh, and you know. There are cryptocurrencies that are trying to offer more privacy, right? So they they obfuscate transactions on purpose so that you can essentially retain your full anonymity, right? Mm -hmm. And funds cannot be traced. But those are very liquid markets. So you cannot, there's no way that you can, you know, launder any significant amount of money uh, through them, right? It's just really, really small chunks that are just not usable for large amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, these companies that, that I mentioned, the blockchain forensics companies, um, they, they do estimate and do, they do track the entire blockchain uh, history, right? And every year they publish reports, you know, what sort, how, how much of the transactions uh, were essentially illicit or risky or something else. Uh, so it's estimated that it's less than 1%, actually, 0.15% of crypto transactions are actually related to illicit activities today. It used to be more. You know, crypto started as as payment method for essentially for dark for, for dark web, for for you know illicit markets, for sometimes even cross country sort of restriction aversion or something like that. But today uh, it's a very established market mm-hmm. and it's it's very, very hard to to even launder money with crypto. Wow. Okay. I think uh, a lot of people who are not into these communities and don't have the knowledge have a totally different idea. Yes. Because of the dark web scandal and, uh, yeah. Um, Still, I wonder, where do you expect um, or what do you expect to see more in the following years? Regulations on crypto by powerful governments? Or would you say that countries will be rather adopting cryptocurrencies as a legal tender? So I'd, I'd say both, right? So when you're regulating something, you are accepting it in a way, right? Mm-hmm. You're making it formally legal. Uh, we live in a sort of a strange, strange time today because, for example, in Europe, cryptocurrencies are fully legal, right? Mm-hmm. They're not illegal. But at the same time, most of the banks uh, are risk averse they don't want to interact with crypto um obviously most of them don't have proper controls in place that's why they can't but you know companies like ours have it but but it's still difficult you know it's legal but at the same time because it's not regulated banks are afraid to deal with it in mm-hmm. size mm-hmm. so i think regulation is definitely going to come um i think also accepting it as legal tender in many countries is also going to come Uh, It has happened in in Latin America and it's happened in other countries as well. It's happened in in the U.S. and some states as well. So it's definitely coming. uh, But but for me, you know, legal tender doesn't doesn't really mean much, right? It's legal Mm -hmm. even now, right? So it's it's not Mm -hmm. like uh, it's changing something massively. But but what's what what needs to happen is to have clear regulation where 
where banks and, and everybody is allowed to participate uh, without worrying that, you know, they're taking some sort of risk or without being sort of harassed by, by regulators sometimes because of they, they interact with something that is actually legal. So managing the risk is actually key. Absolutely. Absolutely. Regulations and, okay, I understand. So if you had to, I mean, you're not really in a position, but I still wonder if you have to advise, I don't know, like our government on what would be the right track to take from here, what would it be so that we can make most of it, especially given the fact that Obviously, we have also a lot of talents who participate in the innovation process around crypto and blockchain. Yeah. Uh, so for us in Bulgaria, we have a very favorable tax system, right? Mm. So that's definitely an advantage. But it's also not very clear exactly what the tax rate for crypto should be. Uh, some people believe it's 10%. Some people say it's 20%. Accountants treat it differently mm-hmm. sometimes. Um so that needs to be clarified. And I think a lot of people, if you announce that and if you clarify that, a lot of people will be interested in, you know, obviously coming here and paying taxes here as opposed to mm-hmm. paying taxes in, in France, right? Where it's like ridiculously okay. like 30%, okay. 40%. Okay. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing, as a country, like on a state level, there's, there's plenty to be done. Uh, you know, stable coins are a very efficient way of payment, especially cross-border. Uh, they also allow access to the DeFi system in crypto, mm. right? So um, they're very important. And I think on a country level, they can be accepted. They can be legitimized. So most of these stable coins. So there's a, there's a stable coin drama going on in the couple of, last couple of days with one algorithmic stable coin. It's very interesting, but I don't want to get into that. But yeah, essentially went from a 30 billion market cap to practically zero at the moment. So it's, it's a big scandal anyway, but it's, it's an experiment. It was a financial experiment. There were risks involved. Everybody mm-hmm. was clear what they are, but there are stable coins, which are backed fully backed by, by, for example, you know, us dollars or euros sitting mm-hmm. in a bank, right? But they just move on crypto rails. Okay. So that makes them very efficient. They're also centralized. So there's no risk, like they can be frozen. Right. Mm-hmm. If someone thinks that something illicit is going on, they can be frozen. So, you know, the criminal cannot move them. Mm-hmm. So they're very safe from that perspective. And, and from a payment perspective, they're very good. It's, you know, just cross-border payments, very easy, very simple, very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think, you know, Bitcoin as a reserve asset is, is still underappreciated. Yes, it is very volatile in fiat terms, uh, but still it is the asset with the least counterparty risk that is available and known to man. Like traditionally gold is this this asset, but gold is is much, you know, harder to trade. It's it's, it's it doesn't move on, you know, electronic rails. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean that that's underappreciated. And I think many countries can can take advantage of that as well. And it's usually small countries that have unstable financial systems. It's not, you know, we are in the European Union, so we need to to follow what what the EU decides to do, mm-hmm. uh, we cannot just you know say ah we we want to buy some Bitcoin you know this, this it doesn't work like that. So <laughs> actually there was this big fairy tale that you know the Bulgarian government holds this huge yes. amounts of Bitcoin. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> I, as far as I know, it's not. I yeah. know they seized a lot of Bitcoin. As far as I know, they they auctioned it off years ago um, to to some 
investment funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them in the Middle East. I think there were some U.S. ones as well, but I, I don't think we as a country hold any Bitcoin at the moment. Okay, unfortunately. Okay, but uh, okay, creating uh, more um, favorable tax uh, conditions for, for crypto might be of value. Maybe even, I don't know, is it possible to create an offshore zone for crypto in it is in a country? It is. For example, Portugal, right? If you if you live in Portugal long term, uh, and you um, you know you're not a professional trader, mm. right? Of cryptocurrencies that you know trades on a daily basis, uh, just an investor, you, you can pay zero percent tax on, on cryptocurrency mm-hmm. gains, right? Which is pretty interesting. In Germany, it used to be the case that if you hold your crypto for uh, more than a year, you don't have to pay tax. This okay. has changed now, I believe, though, okay. uh, because, you know, crypto is like seen as, you know, these crypto kids, they make so much money, they pay no taxes, right? Wow. You know, that's not exactly the case. <laughs> um, and and the governments want to tax it as much as possible, you know, because uh, people see this as unfair gains. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think, you know, in Bulgaria, I think clarifying the exact taxation system for crypto, even if it's 10 percent, if it's not zero, it, it'll I think, be a massive advantage for us. So if you are interested in learning more about the crypto world and understanding the basics, understanding the projects that they are, um, maybe not necessarily be part of some kind of a developer community, what would be the best way for someone who is, let's say, based in Sofia or, or here in our region? You mentioned that it's a very global community. It's uh, region agnostic. Who are the people that you should follow on Twitter? What are the things that you have to learn? Is there a, a course that you would actually recommend? How did you start it? So I started, you know, from purely tech standpoint. Again, started by mining. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that as an easy way in. It's, it's actually very complex, very difficult. Um, but I would say, you know, people usually start by buying some cryptocurrency, you know, at a platform. Um, and just holding it. Um, mm-hmm. I think Twitter is where most of the crypto action is. You need to be, uh, you know, following the Twitter sort of the big names, the big crypto names in Twitter. Um, they provide very interesting insight. They also, uh, and it's very important to not use that as, you know, financial or trading advice, right? This is just content for learning. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a very active crypto community on Twitter. Um, and you can learn tons of things there. You can discover new projects. You can hear what's going on. You can understand some of the things that are very hard to understand. For example, this, this algorithmic stablecoin fiasco that's happening the last couple of days. If you do not on Twitter, you wouldn't even understand what's going on. Like it's because it's 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 very it's very complex yeah. uh, behind the scenes. Um, and so for a newbie, I would suggest you know. Um, learn by by doing right mm-hmm. uh, buy some crypto uh, small amounts obviously money mm-hmm. that you, you can afford to lose uh, try some some make some transactions uh, check out what what's available learn some on Twitter there's plenty of resources and on the internet as well I mean you don't have to be a developer if you if you're not interested in that side of the, of the, of the equation you can just you know there's tons of information everywhere. That's the beauty of you know the, the technology that, that that we have today. Like it's it's all available, right? You mm-hmm. can you can learn, you can you can use, you can. It's open, it's free, so it's 
there's plenty of ways but yeah learn by by doing i'd say i guess you are probably in a way an ambassador within your organization within paysafe um you have how many employees now in bulgaria i think more than um two thousand no i'm sorry thousand more than a thousand more, more than, than a thousand, thousand yes you recently opened also an office in varna where you continue yes. hiring for those who are part of the company and would like to learn from you from 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 crypto how do you do that do you have like internal kind of um structures where you can uh, be buddies to yourself or you can be mentoring each other so we we have it's difficult because we're a big company right yes and um <laughs> A lot of the company is in financial services, so traditional financial services. Mm. Uh, and they don't necessarily have an interest in cryptocurrency, uh, but a lot of the people do you know, have interest mm-hmm. in cryptocurrency. So, and now that we've made a mission in the company to invest in crypto, and that you know that's sort of the next frontier of growth that we see for our, for us as a company, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people were interested, you know, and we tried to to you know educate them, try mm-hmm. to you know have workshops with them, uh, go even in person to talk to them, show them stuff, uh, teach them, you know, try to get them involved because. Um, in crypto, what happens is um, if you're a regular user, uh, you get involved in the community, right? And, mm-hmm. and that becomes a sort of a dynamic that that sort of attaches you to this and you sort of become part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's very important because uh, if you just sit on the outside and you don't follow people, you're not interested in the stuff, you, you can, you know, when something, when the market quiets down, People lose interest and they just, you know, disregard it until the next mm-hmm. bull run starts, right? So these boom and bust cycles uh, mm-hmm. are very sort of noticeable in crypto. Mm-hmm. And then the sort of um, market sentiment plays a big role. Uh, so we need to keep people engaged. We need to make it, make it interesting for them. Mm-hmm. Um, try to explain what's, what's cool about it. What's, why is it so exciting, right? Have these conversations. Try to even explain to them the economic principles that it's built upon, why it is so big, right? Because people, most people that are outside, they don't understand, what is this all about? Why is it so big? Why is it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what is this, like, why are people buying this stuff? It's, it's yeah. just digital magic money, like yeah. uh, magic internet money. This is what, what we call it sometimes. <laughs> magic internet money, I love it. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, it's, it's very difficult because we, we as, as people, we're used to, you know, the physical world, we used to touch, feel something, not used to something digital that we can own yeah it's very intangible it's all digital Mm -hmm. um but it can also it has a lot of benefits the fact that it's digital Mm -hmm. it's very easy to transfer you know very liquid so on and so forth what excites you most in your uh role at space so i have i have a very good team that i you know work with um i and the thing that you know the, the reason that i you know, I'm with PaySafe is, is crypto, right? Because mm-hmm. PaySafe does cool things. That's why I work at PaySafe, right? If PaySafe weren't doing anything in crypto, I would probably not work at PaySafe. So mm-hmm. PaySafe does very cool things as a company. Uh, it's a great sort of environment to work in as well. I mean, we the company does take care of, of, of the people very well. Like, and, and I don't mean like only financially. I mean, like, it's a good environment to work in, okay. you know? And uh, the people there are just, you know, amazing. You know, the, the product people, IT people, just 
just a pleasure to be there, you know, honestly. Mm -hmm. How so. many people are now currently in this crypto department uh, in your team? In my team, uh, we are on the product side and business development side, it's like seven or eight people. Mm -hmm. uh, on the dev side, it's like 20 or 30 people as well. Okay. And this is expected to grow and to develop even more. Yeah, yeah. Do you see Paysafe also somehow um, being one of the major stakeholders, I would say, in the tech ecosystem, collaborating in some way with um, startups or with, uh, I don't know, crypto projects which are in the region? Do you see that going there as well? Yes, uh, we, we're exploring that. Uh, okay. I'd say it is a bit difficult because, again, we're a public company and we're not, you know, some sort of venture fund that we mm. can just invest in startups, right? No. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we're definitely exploring ways to do that. Um, and I hope that, you know, we can do that. It's it's very interesting. Uh, but it's also a difficult time in the industry, right? So when you when you invest as a as a sort of venture in, in a company, you need to... to sort of justify that investment and right now you know crypto is not the hot market it used to be a year ago mm. so mm -hmm. the sentiment is not uh sort of as 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 good as it used to be but longer term we're definitely exploring that as well yeah mm -hmm. i would uh, love to see that i think uh you know kind of building bridges within the ecosystem is very very important yes. and uh i see um when it comes to, to the crypto world and to the blockchain um, communities, not world, communities which are here, this is not happening enough yet because it's fairly new um, type of community, I would say. Do you participate in, in these communities proactively? Like, do you meet each other? Do you have like meetups or <laughs> how do you know the people? Yeah, so... Crypto is like, you know, the assets, the cryptocurrency, they're digital. Crypto is very digital, right? Mm -hmm. So meeting in person is not, you know, the sort of the, the best way to, <laughs> to grow your crypto network and to participate. Usually we hang in Discord servers and, mm -hmm. and Telegram channels on Twitter, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it's not usually, you know, in person. Yes. Uh, most of the people I interact with, like from the crypto space, I haven't met in person, to be fair. Mm -hmm. um, but there's many ways you can build trust in the community as well um so i wouldn't say like i i personally don't go to like many meetups i'd go to conferences sometimes okay. but it's mostly uh from sort of business mm -hmm. um sort of perspective not really my personal sort of crypto okay. interactions uh but it's yeah the crypto, the crypto conferences are a lot of fun, especially uh, in bull markets. You know, it's, it's pretty. It's <laughs> I guess very passionate discussions everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. And so many people. It's it's so much excitement. I mean, it's 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 very positive. I'd say. But the, I find curious, you know, all these culture codes that you have. Like, well, we don't really meet in person. We're hanging in Discord uh, servers or in, on Telegram, and we don't do that. And we actually don't want to have. Um, you know, this attention on us from, let's say, media like ours, or <laughs> we prefer to stay anonymous, a bit introverted. Um, what what else can you say about the culture codes in, in the crypto community? So it's very interesting that also, you know, crypto, like we see it as, 
you know, externally we always say the crypto community, but it's actually crypto is very tribal, right? Mm. So you have these separate communities that are constantly fighting each other and trying to, you know, diss each other. And it's, it's very exciting. It's cool stuff. And the power of memes in the crypto space is tremendous, right? So, okay. and, I, and I mean in modern culture, even not, not crypto necessarily, but, but crypto is very mimetic, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that on Twitter, it's just it's just so so interesting to just follow the different battles between the different tribes, because you know some some protocols and some tokens they they have designed a token and a product to fulfill a nation. There's like because crypto is open source, it's permissionless, so anyone can just copy something and then deploy it and create a new token sure. on another blockchain or even the same blockchain, right? And create a different community, right? Mm-hmm. And fork the previous community. Mm-hmm. And then these communities are fighting. And it's, it's very interesting. Like, it's, 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 it's awesome. Um, and obviously, the stronger community wins in the end. That's usually, right? But it's, it's a very sort of democratic system, right? Everybody can do what they want. Everybody can copy the code. Everybody can create an application. Everyone can create a community. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very interesting. And it's just not one community. It's like hundreds of tribes of communities that sometimes you know work with each other but sometimes they fight is there a no-go uh, in the let's say in the in the crypto community stuff that you 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 don't do because it uh, will get judged i mean uh, uh, you know it, also elon musk has been criticized a lot for yes <laughs> yes he has <laughs> um yeah elon is is um is a very interesting person like i He does this very much for fun, I mm. think, and people trade based on that and make or lose a lot of money. It's, it's ridiculous. And I think, you know, if I, in honest criticism to him, I'd say that he needs to be more considerate into what he's saying because people are taking it for, for granted that they're trying to trade it. And it, a lot of people have lost a lot of money because of that. And I, I, uh, that's not to say, I mean, it's a free market. It should be a free market, I believe. That's that's one of the last free markets that we have in the finance world is crypto because everything else is managed mm-hmm. or, you know, bailed out or, you know, there's no backstops in crypto, right? Crypto is free. Anyone can do anything. And so should, you know, social media as well. Um, that's also very important. You know, we've seen... The, the cancel culture is something that's very big in, in social media the last couple of years. For example, Donald Trump got canceled from Twitter, right? Mm. He got deplatformed. Yeah. Other people got deplatformed as well. And I'm not, you know, criticizing necessarily Twitter that they're doing that. I mean, maybe they have their reasons. Um, but I believe that that should be that should not be the case, right? Even even, you know, everyone should be able to share what Even if it's bad, even if it's not true, even like people should be allowed to say what they want to say. Should they should not be deplatformed? And in crypto as well, like a no-go in crypto, usually from the hardcore crypto communities, is you know that cancel culture where you you should not cancel other people, right? And there's all sorts of tribes that try to cancel other tribes or other blockchains or hate on them, mm-hmm. and it's just never ages well. Usually, in the end, the ones that cancel get, you know, uh, discredited. So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Pff, I wouldn't say there's something, a no-go in Twitter, but I would say that, you know, it's a free market. Everyone tweets what they want, and it's that creates a very interesting dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. Some people get more followers, others lose. Mm-hmm. Well, social media is uh, under a lot of scrutiny lately, uh, also because... Of 
we see what kind of uh, influence it has on, on our democracy, um, especially when you um, use it to to um, spread propaganda to maybe even less educated citizens. So I do see it as a amplifier of problems that we do have in our society. And from the perspective of someone who is doing media, who studied media, I'm thinking before that, being, you know, uh, able to, to voice out a position, to voice out um, content has been privileged to certain people, to journalists, politicians, to all those. Now with the internet and also with social media, everyone becomes medium. But journalists and, and also politicians, they were accountable by a code of conduct, conduct mm. that uh, we have. And if we democratize this privilege to, to everyone, what does it happen? I have no clear answer. Um, I was just thinking about it when I was listening to you that everyone should be allowed to speak out and to, to have their free speech because these are the rules. These are the rules in crypto and it also functions in this way. At the same time, what strikes me quite often is that people who really understand crypto, they're usually very well educated. So they're very curious, they read a lot, um, and they have good values. Uh, that's my first thing. I'm not speaking about you know, the, the crypto people who are just trading and doing it for the speculation. They have to be well informed. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And that's how, um, you know, that's how advantage is built in the crypto space. Uh, you know, alpha, what, you know, mm -hmm. call it an investment world. Um, you have to, you have to dig in, you have to research and you have to research more than the others, right? It's a free market. Whoever does the most research makes the best decisions. So he succeeds. Mm -hmm. It's, um, that's, it's a free market and it's, it's great. And we, we love it for that. I mean, and in terms of, you know, the media, there are no right answers here, right? Yeah. So we don't know. We mm -hmm. don't know. Um, but but I also think that it's it's very dangerous if we, you know, for example, um, try to manage, you know, messages and try to censor people. It could get, very, it, it's very hard to do. Like, I, I do not envy the people at Twitter and Facebook that have to make these decisions, mm -hmm. right? Honestly, mm -hmm. this is is very hard to do and i'm not saying they're making bad or good decisions but it's just how how, how to make a decision like that you know cancel mm -hmm. someone i i don't know maybe maybe it's a good decision maybe not it's, it's difficult definitely it's the today's version of playing god isn't it yeah a little bit and <laughs> the platform someone from social media <laughs> it's uh it's amazing how times have changed mm. What are your ways and your tips and, and, and tricks for staying at the top of your game to be ahead in the research, to um, be more informed than others, especially in your position when this is part of your professional capacity as well? So, so part, of, part of this is actually to realize that you can never be uh, exactly at the top of your game. Okay. So that and sort of that realization and that humbleness allows you to kind of strive for it, right? Because people that, you know, think they're on top of their game, they don't usually, you know, last that very long. So you have to be ambitious, you have to stay curious. 
And you have to be humble enough and flexible enough to understand that sometimes you can also make a mistake. Admit it and move on, right? Mm -hmm. That's very important in, in investing, I think in my professional career as well, and in crypto as well, right? Sometimes you make mistakes, you, you misjudge something, move on, right? Uh, accept it, be flexible, right? Because the world we live in, and in crypto specifically, there's so many things going on, so much innovation. There's no way to stay on top of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but you need to strive to know as much as, as possible and you need to be, again, flexible enough to understand when you're wrong so that you can switch your strategy or... Do you nurture this principle also um, within your team at Paysafe that, okay, mistakes happen, especially in this unexplored field where we are at. Um, we learn from that and then we move on. Yeah, absolutely. We have to. I think, you know, as a product company, that's very important because mm -hmm. um, in, in traditional project companies, you have a client that's selling what to do. In a product company, you try to listen to your clients, you, you research your clients, you research markets, and you make a decision what you want to do. And sometimes it's not the right decision. Sometimes you have to, but you have to try it. I mean, you have to try, fail, and move on. Mm -hmm. The most important thing, obviously, and that's not only in, in, in pay safe or work in life, is just to make sure you learn from the mistakes, right? Mm. So that's the most important. Do not repeat your mistakes, but making mistakes, embracing failure is, is very important. And I wouldn't have, uh, you know, succeeded in crypto at all or my professional life if I didn't embrace that principle because I've made a lot of mistakes um, what is what would you say is your biggest failure or let's say probably also the situation where you learned most from uh, I wouldn't say it's like anything big specifically I every day I say make mistakes honestly um I try to learn from them that mm -hmm. I mean in crypto like my biggest it's not I don't see it as a mistake but for example when I started you know looking into bitcoin mining bitcoin in 2011 I just disregarded it, you know, at the time, which mm -hmm. is, you know, if I hadn't, you know, that would have been a huge, huge success for me. But I did. Um, but also maybe it was, you know, for the better because at the time it was only Bitcoin, right? Today, you know, Ethereum came along later on, um, a couple of years later. So, and, and Ethereum is like sort of a completely different beast to Bitcoin. People try to compare them. They're completely different. Mm -hmm. um, they try to solve different different issues. Um, so, and then there's this, like I mentioned, there's this bubble in crypto tribalism. There's, you know, the BTC maxis where if you're a BTC maxi, you, you essentially see only Bitcoin as, as worthwhile, right? So if I had gotten Bitcoin in 2011, maybe I wouldn't, I would have missed the rest of the crypto space when it came along in 2015, 16 and so on. So, I mean, it's, you never know, but yeah, I mean, I make mistakes every day and try to learn from them. That's that's what I can Do say. Do you identify yourself with a certain tribe? Uh, what tribe are mostly, you? Mostly, mostly Ethereum. Yes, yes, okay. but but I'm not definitely not a maxi, right? So mm -hmm. a maxi is a maximalist, right? Mm -hmm. So I I do explore other blockchains. I invest in other blockchains. Uh, so I mean, it's just Ethereum is probably the the most robust smart contract blockchain that allows mm -hmm. for a lot of things to be built on top of it, mm -hmm. but is also fairly decentralized and you, it's dependable. You can build stuff on it, you know it works. 
uh, and you know it, it it never stops so i mean it's um obviously it has some some risks it has some disadvantages as well uh it's very expensive to transact sometimes there are other risks you know there's upgrades to the network coming in and upgrading a blockchain network is is something that's just from a from an outsider's view is completely underappreciated how difficult it is right mm-hmm. because these are systems of thousands of computers around the world that need to be coordinated to run a software upgrade there's all sorts of risks associated with that it takes years to coordinate an upgrade to, to properly test it and it's just very difficult um but yeah i i don't necessarily associate myself with a certain tribe but if i have to it's, it'd be ethereum mm-hmm. um I have another question that uh, just popped into my mind, but I'm curious what you're going to say. It's more, again, a philosophical question. Having your background in finance, working for a fintech company, I mean, you're like a finance person through and through. (laughs) Um, What challenge in the finance industry would you hope to see solved by crypto? I think... The major challenge in the finance industry is that it's very, it's intransparent. I think that's, and it's closed off around the edges. It's difficult to get in. So let's start with the transparency issue, mm-hmm. right? I think it, the the financial crisis in 2008, which essentially gave birth to, to Bitcoin, right? Um, the, no one knew what was happening, right? Mm-hmm. People... People were completely oblivious as to what was happening. It's so convoluted, so complex that, I mean, today, even, you know, the Federal Reserve of the United States, they admit they don't know how many dollars are in circulation around the world because they don't issue them, right? Private banks actually issue money. It's not the central bank that issues money. The central bank just controls interest rates and even only short term at that. But, you know, what, what blockchain can do is bring transparency, right? There's There's clarity. What's the supply of each and every asset? Who holds it? Um, what has happened in its past? Um, you know, it's very transparent and it's open, right? It's inclusive. For example, today, if you don't have access to dollars, like in you, you live in, in, in Africa or, or Latin America, it's, it's a challenge, right? It's your, your, your currency, your local currency is depreciating, mm-hmm. you have tons of inflation. And people just scramble to get U.S. dollars because that's the world currency, and that's yeah. yeah. And and crypto is inclusive, right? Through technology, you can have access to these networks, uh, and you can use them on a daily basis. Um, essentially, solving the problem of those local currencies that are constantly depreciating, mm-hmm. and the fact that you don't have access to the U.S. banking system to get, you know, that dependable currency that you can use. Mm-hmm. So I think that those are the two things, you know, transparency and the inclusiveness that that crypto can can help solve. And there's because crypto is permissionless, it's open, right? Mm-hmm. People build stuff on top of it that we don't know today what what they're going to build tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's other things as well. I mean, it enables a ton of other opportunities for for gaming, for example, for for artists as well around the world. They can. You know, today, if you're an artist in, in Africa, you can sell an NFT to someone in the U.S., right, and and get money for it, mm-hmm. which is, you know, something that you couldn't think of doing, you know, 10 years ago. 
um, art, the art world in general is very traditional. Uh, art investing, you know, in, in certain paintings or statues is is exclusively was exclusively reserved for for rich people uh, that had access to that that sort of asset to invest. But crypto can help with that as well. It can democratize that in, in different ways. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of good that can come mm-hmm. out of it. Um, obviously, there will be challenges along the way. Um, a lot of fraud. It's a like I said, free market. A lot of fraud. A lot of and a lot of experimentation that's going to fail. Mm-hmm. And we need to embrace that. Hmm. If those who are currently watching us still want to be part of your team at Paysafe, where you help prevent this fraud, because I think this is a very critical aspect. If you want to include more people in this system and for it to be really fair and for it to have a real impact, we need to include more people in the system. Yes. And protecting fraud, in a way, will be um, essential for all those of us who have this maybe a bit negative image now of crypto, especially <laughs> in the, with the cur- current events. So if someone wants to be part of your team and join your mission, what would be the best way? So there's a number of ways. Um, if, you know, because we have development teams, we have product teams, we mm-hmm. have compliance teams, we have marketing teams. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be a developer that will be working in a cool team, cool company that does invest in crypto, you can obviously join and apply for a developer position. Mm-hmm. The if there's plenty of them open, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from a product perspective, we have a very good trainee program that we run almost every year, right? Mm-hmm. There are crypto trainees that will be, you know, hired in the coming months as well. So that's one way to get into a crypto product role, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of people want to get into. But it's it's difficult. I understand, you know, a product role by itself is challenging enough, right? It's a, it's sort of a new thing in, in Bulgaria, right? <laughs> um, so, and crypto and product combined makes it even more challenging, right? But it's also very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, like, if if I were someone, you know, graduating from university, that's what I would do. Like, because it will allow me to learn the crypto space, but in a sort of a safe environment of mm-hmm. a company that I can also learn product and you know, sort of safely grow my knowledge and my expertise in the space. And in terms of like, marketing is also very important in crypto, especially the social element, right? Okay. Um, And from that perspective, obviously we have marketing people, we're hiring, we're going to hire more of them. They're not based in Bulgaria at the Mm. moment, but uh, there could be some opportunity there as well. I guess this is also um, a skill that marketing people would would like, you know, understanding crypto. Because I think it's easier to understand crypto when you have a finance background or when you have a tech background. But coming from marketing, it's a bit, for me, it's difficult. You know, I I also decided I'm going to educate myself in this field because I, I see, I find it very exciting how, we start building new types of organizations mm-hmm. um, around it. And uh, I must say, it's it's very difficult. I mean, I had to really start with these basics, like what is currency, you know, yes. <laughs> going back in the old yes, days, like yes. what are the principles? Because 
all the terms that people are using, they're so cryptic. <laughs> I, um, at, in the beginning, I was like, what does this mean? <laughs> like, what, 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 what is taking? Yeah, why, why is it good? Why wouldn't, wouldn't you say you just hold it? Why do you have to say that it's taken? Why do you have to say that you mine it? And then so on. So you have this special code where it's in. And, um, I guess for marketing people, it's also very difficult to get access to, to that. Okay. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, and it's a very different marketing environment to what traditional marketing is, right? It's yeah. very, it's very quick paced. It's very social. Okay. Um, and it's also like for a company like ours, there are some challenges in terms of what we can say as a company, right? Related mm. to crypto because regulators, um, you know, monitor this very, very closely, mm -hmm. right? So from a marketing perspective, First of all, you have to be, like you said, acquaint yourself with the terms. It, you try to be as quickly reactive as possible on social media, but also try to manage the the regulations and, and the restrictions that are coming from a regulator. So mm -hmm. it is definitely a very challenging role, I'd say. Right. I also see that. <clears throat> Jordan, thank you for this conversation. It's been uh, like, a, like a short excursion into another world. <laughs> Definitely not the conversation that I'm usually used to. Uh, because in a way, I started understanding the, the principles around startups, but we're now talking about a totally different thing, uh, which uh, for many of us has been still very closed. And uh, I hope that we will see it opening in the in the following years. I'm very happy that there are companies also like Paysafe who are um, a bit ahead of others and, and embrace this uh, trend. I wouldn't call it trend. I mean, how would you call it? Uh, embrace this opportunities that crypto are actually opening for businesses, for organizations, um, and also for, for payments. Yes, yes. I'd say it's like, I. I if I have to classify it as one thing, it's like culture and mm. culture and finance combined. It's it's just something that we've never seen before, something that can create tremendous opportunity. And uh, I think, you know, investing in learning into, into that space is, is going to pay off very, very, very well for people that that are passionate and want to learn. Thank you for putting it like this. Uh, I it's very well put. <laughs> You're done. Thank you for being our guest here at the Recursive Podcast. Uh, we will track what uh, you're going to do in the next years. I hope that your team will be growing also with um, well-informed and well-educated people. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> in the next episode of the Recursive Podcast, we welcome Athena Pulinadova, the co-founder of the HR tech startup Owiwi. Okay. Real, real thing for me, uh, priori prioritization. I think it's the most difficult part because until uh, very, very recently, I didn't know how to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. So I was saying yes, 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 yes. And uh, I was saying yes by overestimating my powers and uh, the things that uh, I can do. And by the end of the day, I realized that uh, by saying yes and giving my energy to everything, by the end of the day, I didn't have much energy for the things that I really enjoy and are like doing. So I was being in a constant loop of being uh, burnt out, then outside okay. of a burnout, and then again heading to the next burnout. So uh, when I realized that this is very unhealthy, um, I took some steps to, you know, make it better and understand that it's not, it cannot work. Okay.
if you don't have a clear mind and um, if you don't clear up your pace and that it's not a thing working 14 hours per day. It may be, you know, this uh, startup culture and thing hustling all the time, but no. <laughs> and if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.